Certain information set forth in the podcast may contain forward-looking statements under applicable security laws. These statements are not guarantees of future performance, and undue reliance should not be placed on them. Although forward-looking statements contained in this presentation are based upon what management of the company believes to be reasonable assumptions, there can be no assurance that forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate. LifeSci Advisors and the company undertake no obligation to update forward-looking statements in the podcast should circumstances or management's estimates or opinions change. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not an offer or solicitation to buy securities and does not constitute investment advice. If you have a solid tumor, a lot of it is not cancer cells. A lot of it is supportive tissue. And CXCL12 appears to help the cancer sequester the T cells that are coming to kill it in the supportive tissue away from the cancer cells. If you neutralize this axis, you can actually get better penetration of the effector T cells into the cancer cell nest. And that gives you the direct contact between the cancer cell and the immune cell. Hello, my name is Neil Canavan, and this is Bench Talk Bios, a podcast series by LifeSite Partners where we introduce healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the biotech sector forward. Today is my great pleasure to be speaking with Aram Magasarian. He is the CEO of Noxon Pharma. Aram, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be here. So first things first, for the benefit of those who may not be familiar with Noxon, let's start with the elevator pitch. 60 seconds or less. This is always the greatest challenge for a CEO. Tell me, where is Noxon headquartered? How long have you been in business? And give me an idea of what you do there. So Noxon is headquartered in Berlin, Germany. We're listed on the exchange in Paris, Euronext Growth. We focus on improving cancer treatments by targeting what's called the tumor microenvironment, which are basically all the parts of the healthy body hijacked by cancer to do its bidding and keep it alive and healthy. We go after a type of target called chemokines, and our lead asset, Noxa 12, is being developed in two different combination approaches, one with immunotherapy in pancreas cancer and one with radiotherapy in brain cancer. Splendid. Nice and short. Okay. We're going to get a far more detailed download on Noxon, that technology, in just a few minutes. But first, in keeping with the mission of Benchtop Bio, which is to introduce listeners to senior management, let's talk a bit about you. We'll start with your training. To begin with, you went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and you earned a very elaborate bachelor's degree in chemistry, biochemistry, molecular biology, and English literature, of all things, and this is circa 1992. Following this, you earned a PhD in biology from UCSD with research carried out at the Salk Institute in La Jolla. So two questions right off the bat. Did English literature help you at all with the Krebs cycle? And second, what was your PhD thesis? <laughs> well, the, the, I don't think anything can help with the Krebs cycle. <laughs> <laughs> My PhD thesis was on the role of one of the accessory proteins of the AIDS virus called NEF, and it was a protein that seemed to enhance infectivity, and we weren't quite sure how, and it looks like its role was to keep the receptors out of the viral particle as the virus was budding. And this was work that I carried out with a number of other folks, including some very talented electron microscopy researchers in Geneva which is where I went later for a postdoc. We'll talk about that in just a second, but I have to ask, I've been scuba diving in La Jolla Cove. Someone pointed out the Scripps Institute, and I saw the lab leaning over the cove, and I'm like, so quick question, how did you ever get anything done? 
<laughs> that was tough. I actually had my surfboard in the lab because oh, uh, we could hike down the cliff to Black's Beach and get some surfing in at lunch, which was which was great. Yeah, see, I've lived the wrong life. Okay. So you mentioned a postdoc. You did a postdoc in Geneva a couple of years, but then you went into an MBA program. So you had experience at one of the most famous research facilities in the world, but you left and you turn your interest towards business. And the MBA was not just any old MBA. This was something called NSAID, which frankly, I had not heard of because I'm not a business person, but it turns out to be extremely famous. They have campuses in Fortunable in France, in Dubai, Singapore, San Francisco. You were fortunate enough to be in France, but I have to ask you, why did you leave the bench? Well, I was a bit frustrated after a few years in AIDS research with, at least in the academic setting where I was, the ability to have an impact on patients. I think we were doing some pretty fascinating fundamental work, but I was interested in the applications. And I was curious about the world of business and a business school like INSEAD seemed to be a good way to get to know the world of business and the type of people I'd be interacting with. And I recall at the time thinking, well, listen, it's a one-year program. If I really hate these people, I can go back to research. But I didn't. I found them to be actually one of the more interesting groups of people I'd encountered so far in my life and then kept going down that path. All right. Well, it seems that not only the business bug bit you, but so did France. Because your first job, you stayed in Europe. And this was at a company called Exxon Hit. This was from 2000 to 2005. Tell me just a bit about your duties there and what they did or do. So I got hired in as a junior business developer. And to their credit, I didn't have any experience in the industry at the time. But they looked at my background and said, here's a phone, here's an office, go develop some business for us. And I managed to get it. How very French. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a great place to learn French, too, because while almost all the people, especially the three founders, spoke perfect English, they really conducted everything inside the company in French. That was a great school for me to learn the language. I did a number of smaller transactions for them. And then I think the thing that really helped the company was I managed to interest some of the research team at Allergan out in Irvine to look at our technology. And we signed a small deal at the time, which I think was around $900,000 total, which at, at the moment seemed like an astronomical sum of cash for biotech, to me at least. And, and I watched the contract come in through the fax machine page by page until the signature fell into the little tray. Oh, what machine? Uh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm that old. And then we did a larger strategic alliance once Allergan saw what the technology could bring. I remember being cornered in the hallway outside of the conference room by their head of biology at the time. And he was asking me, all right, so how much do you want for exclusive access to technology in these three fields? So this is how I imagine high tech, high stakes negotiations being done, just like, you know, outside of the bathroom in a hallway. So you were there for five years, and in 2005, you moved on, and you spent five years at a company called Novexcel, also in France. And there, you continued in negotiating skills. You negotiated a 150 million euro licensing agreement with 75 up front with a little company called Forest. And this was for a beta-lactamase blocker, so anti-infectives. And then you were part of a team negotiating the sale of the company to AZ, and this is in 2012. And this is for real money, not just lunch money like 900000 This is half a billion. So I'm assuming that either 
with Exxon Hit or more with Novexcel, you're dealing with investors. I don't want to be favor any nation or continent, but are European investors any really any different than American investors? Is there different focus, different style? Any sense of that? Yeah, I suspect there's different styles, and I've I've seen it evolve over time. Sophie Nova was involved actually with every company I've ever worked for, even the same investor, Denis Lucan. But I could see the style of investing changing over time as he brought in more and more new people. He was a bit more of the, I pay attention to the people and they'll get something done. And as I think in a lot of investment firms now, they want more content expertise in-house. Now, the next question, this might be the most difficult because it's the most abstract, I think. Tell me a bit about negotiating with AZ. I mean, they're a big player, obviously. Novexcel was not, is not. How do you maintain an even playing field at a negotiating table? Well, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, AZ says, this is what I want, and you just give it to them? Well, of course. The key thing is to have a competitor in the process. And we were lucky enough, there was more than one company involved in the process. And one of the competitors put a fairly punchy bid in. And at that point, actually, AZ said, look, we can't meet that alone. But if you allow us, we want to talk to Forrest, who's got North American rights. And we think together, we can do a little bit better. And that's what they ended up doing. The other thing is, and I learned this from my boss at the time, Ian Buchanan, who's a great mentor to me in terms of business development. He was always very honest and upfront with the other side, right? So in 2008, we had been actually talking about partnering with AstraZeneca and the board looked at the financial crisis and we'd been preparing an IPO. They said, guys, you're going to have to sell it. So we took a plane trip up. I think it was to Alderley Edge at the time, Ian and I, and we sat down with the the two business developers from AstraZeneca, and and we just said, look, we can't do a partnering deal anymore. We have to sell the company. And they said, you know, you have a deadline, and we said, look, we could tell you we do, but that would just be artificial. Look, it's do what you can. And they were really very constructive, and they appreciated that we came up there and were very open. And we got, I think, a really nice transaction done. And and I stayed in touch with Karen Gallant, who was one of the business developers. And it was really gratifying to see the day when she uh, emailed me and said, hey, the drug's been approved. I see. This is really nice because sometimes in business deals, one party is getting screwed. But when both parties can walk away and say, okay, I'm happy with this, you know, this is a good deal. So just very quickly, I always look up people's publishing history if I realize they, they are, have a science background. Yours started in the 90s. And really funnily, the last publication you have is from last week. <laughs> so this is going to take us right into our conversation about Noxon. Okay. So the title of this opus is The Combined Inhibition of CXCL12 and PD-1 in MSS, Colorectal and Pancreatic Cancer, The Modulation of the Microenvironment and the Clinical Effects. This is available from the Journal of Immunotherapy of Cancer as of October 9th. So if listeners should rather read about the technology to listen to it, that's your go-to paper. But for those who would rather continue listening, Aaron, before we dive into Noxon's technology, just tell me quickly, why did you sign on? Why this opportunity? The asset, the drugs that Noxoners are developing are quite fascinating and quite unique. So they're actually made of RNA, but not RNA that can be used as genetic material. They're actually, chemically speaking, the mirror image of natural RNA. So 
instead of being right-handed, they're left-handed. And we use them in what are called aptamers. It's a bit like you make an antibody out of protein. We're making something a bit like an antibody out of RNA, but that gives us a very broad interaction phase with our targets and allows us to go after some targets that even antibodies are not able to effectively drug. Are these native amino acids? They are, and the mirror image stereochemistry actually protects them from nuclease degradation because they don't fit into the cleft of the nucleases. Okay, cool. All right, so we're going to dive in deeply in just a minute, but first, just for those who may not be familiar with some of the terminology of immunotherapy. In a nutshell, approved immunotherapy drugs, the so-called checkpoint inhibitors, are producing responses in late late case, late stage cancer patients. And these have never been observed before. I mean, some of these people have been cured, but sadly, many, of these, many patients lose an initial response or they don't respond at all. And the reason for this has to do with the tumor microenvironment you mentioned, or TME, a shorthand that most scientists use. And this is the immediate physical neighborhood of the tumor on a cellular, if not a molecular level. And this is important because certain dynamics of the TME actively suppress an effective immune response against the tumor. All right, Aram, with that set up, tell me about Noxon's mission and your lead candidate. This would be Nox A12. Okay. Well, so we're going after chemokines as a way to target the microenvironment. And there's one in particular called CXCL12, also known as SDF1, Stromal-derived factor 1, that's involved in a whole range of biology of cancer. It also is one of the key homeostatic chemokines for keeping cells in the bone marrow. And we think it's also one of the reasons that you get bone metastases, because many cancer cells, once they get into the blood, are attracted to high concentrations of this chemokine. Now, we're developing it in a couple different combinations. And the reasons for that are because we've seen it has different properties. So it appears to be one of the key factors for keeping immune cells, in particular effector T cells, out of the what we call the cancer nests of solid tumors. You and your listeners probably know that if you have a solid tumor, a lot of it is not cancer cells. A lot of it is supportive tissue, blood vessels. These are healthy tissues. And CXCL12 appears to help the cancer sequester the T cells that are coming to kill it in the supportive tissue away from the cancer cells. And there have been a number of papers and studies showing that if you neutralize this axis, you can actually get better penetration of the effector T cells into the cancer cell nest. And that gives you the direct contact between the cancer cell and the immune cell. So now that the immune cell can check the cancer cell, of course, you still have the PD-1 and PD-L1 checkpoint, which cancer often uses to shut down an immune response. But the fact that we can overcome this wall, if you will, is really interesting. And it was enough to help convince the team at Merck, or MSD as they're called here in Europe, to collaborate with us scientifically, give us Keytruda for our trial in pancreas and colorectal cancer, and test whether, you know, if we can get the T cells in, and then Keytruda can actually block the PD-1, PD-L1 interaction, maybe we're going to get an interesting immune response and the patients will benefit. And the background to that is, in particular, in pancreas cancer, they tried PD-1 monotherapy and they didn't see anything. You know, when we looked through the literature at the time, when we were preparing for the meeting with Merck, we couldn't even find an example of stable disease. 
So I want to talk just a bit more about the science here. When you're talking about the TME, this is a monstrously complicated space. And there's all sorts of signals in the cells going on. And CXCL12 is actually part of an axis, as you mentioned, involving, and I'm not sure who the ligand and who the receptor is, CXCL4 and CXCL7, all involved in this signaling. You're going after 12. Is there any other competitors in the space? Yes. So I should explain a little bit about chemokines for your listeners. So they act as a bit like street signs. And the analogy, I think, is a good one because you know, they have information on the sign that tells cells that can see them what to do, like stay out. They're also anchored into the ground, if you will, because they have a non-specific anchor site. And that's what gives them the location information. So we go after the ligand, CXCL12, and any cells that are carrying either CXCR4 or R7 can see that ligand. All the competitors in the clinic that we're aware of are CXCR4 antagonists. So these are small molecules that cover up the eye, if you will, on the cell, CXCR4, that can see the street sign. So that leaves CXCR7 fully functional, able to interact with the ligand, the street sign, CXCL12. What NOXA12 does is it's able to cover up the information on the sign, but because it has such a large interaction face, it also pulls it out of the ground, if you will, and destroys the location information inherent in the chemokine. So it actually just floats off with our drug then. And that's a very powerful pharmacology on this class of drug. There have been a number of antibodies even that have been tested against chemokines, in particular the target of our second drug, Noxy36. And they have a really tough time giving long neutralization. All right. So let's talk about how we are using this drug. You're testing in two tumor types, two notoriously difficult tumor types, I might add, both pancreatic cancer and GBM glioblastoma. Let's talk about the pancreas program first. You announced in July your upcoming phase two investigation with this asset in combination with the checkpoint inhibitor pembrolizumab. So set that up for me. What's the protocol? And when do you expect a readout for this program? So the protocol is that we're going into second-line pancreas cancer patients. We're going to have two arms in this trial. Both arms are going to contain Noxate 12. Both are going to contain pembrolizumab. And then we'll be testing two different chemotherapeutic regimens. One is going to be gemabraxane, actually both of which were developed by our senior medical advisor, Ulf Jungnelius. And the other is going to be Onovite 5-FU leucovorin, which is the only approved second-line therapy for pancreas cancer. How many patients are we looking at? We're looking at a little over 70 total. And this is a so-called pick-the-winner trial because we want to see which chemotherapeutic regimen works best with the combination of Noxite 12 plus PD-1 inhibition. And really the impetus for this trial was what we saw in the phase 1-2 before, where we saw a number of very heavily pretreated patients. So on average, we had fourth-line pancreas cancer patients, sixth-line colorectal cancer patients, and we saw several of them living for a year or more. And that really struck Ulf in particular, who'd worked a lot with pancreas cancer patients. We had actually two fourth-line pancreas cancer patients who res- didn't respond at all to third-line therapy. So within two months, they progressed. Their clinicians said, look, you need, you need to find another therapy. They enrolled in our trial. Both of them stabilized for six to eight months. And even once we took them off therapy, because they progressed radiologically, 
they went on to live a very long time. So for Ulf, that was really surprising. And he said, you know, it really looks like you're doing something to make these tumors less aggressive because normally these patients die very quickly. Yeah, yeah, years would be a long time. When do you expect to read out of these trials? So the phase one, two is actually the publication you just mentioned that came out. And the phase two in second line is going to start hopefully middle of next year. We expect that to read out in 2024. And then the idea is to take the combination with chemotherapy that works the best there and move that into a pivotal trial. Okay. Your second target is in GBM where the standard of care has not changed appreciably since telomazolamide was approved in 2005, which is just sad. So where are we in testing this asset? So we're in the midst of a phase one, two dose escalation. So we've reported some data on the first two doses, and these are in a really probably the worst subset of first-line glioblastoma patients. These are patients who are so-called MGMT unmethylated, which means they're not going to benefit significantly from standard of care chemotherapy, temidar, and they're patients where the surgeon could not completely remove the primary tumor mass. So there's residual measurable tumor, which of course the patient's going to progress more rapidly. And we've seen already objective responses, and even at the lowest dose, we had a stable objective, durable, I should say, objective response, the 200 milligram per week dose saw another objective response at 400, and we're in the process of dosing the patients in the highest dose. And that should wrap up uh, Q1 next year with the dose escalation. And this is with in combination with radiation, yes? Yes. Okay. Got it. Got it. I should have asked this earlier about the actual PKs of the drug. It's a bit wonky, but so for, for the GBM, the administration is continuous, is it not? Yes. So what we realized is the work that was done at Stanford, and this is one of the reasons we went into glioblastoma by Martin Brown's lab, when he dosed the animals, he would subcutaneously. But because of the way you can dose in animals, it formed a sort of reservoir. So the PK of the drug was really just flat, right? It didn't have this up and down that you'd get with a bolus intravenous administration. And the, the hypothesis for how the drug works in combination with radiotherapy is that we block the radio, the tumor who's just had its blood vessels burnt out by the radiotherapy from pulling in repair cells to rebuild the vasculature by the process of vascular genesis. And we know when we give a bolus IV that we're going to get a big peak of cells out of the bone marrow, and then they're going to resettle somewhere. And we didn't want that somewhere to be the brain tumor. So we decided we want to squeeze as much risk out of this phase one, two as possible. So let's just copy that flat PK. Now, that involved us giving the patients a little pump to carry around, which we'd swap a cassette out every week. And actually, although Wolf was quite concerned about that, how that would work out, the patients accepted it actually quite readily. Yeah, actually, I know from other GBM programs, you might be concerned about compliance in some other setting but not these patients. They are extremely willing to do whatever it takes. So we're going to just wrap up a few business questions here. Oh, first, when's the readout for the GBM, if you didn't mention it? So Q1, we have the last patient through the high dose. We're actually planning to start a number of expansion cohorts. So one of the really interesting things we saw in actually in patient one was that we had in the first few months something that looked like a progression. And the surgeon said, I need to go back in. 
took the tissue out. The pathologist looked at it and said, I'm not seeing many replicating cancer cells here. So that piqued our interest. We sent it to one of the other centers in the trial who has a very, very good microscopy group. And long story short, they were able to, to stain for many, many markers at once. And what they found is that really the only replicating cells in the tumor were clusters of effector immune cells in a tumor that's notoriously cold. And so that's very exciting. And I think it's really leading us to want to test A12 with a checkpoint inhibitor after radiotherapy now. That's one of the combinations we'll be testing. That's very exciting. So let's talk about the lawyers for a second. Where's the IP for all this? IP is held by our German company in Berlin, the Noxon Pharma AG. The drugs were invented by the company. The patents are getting a little bit old now, I have to say. So before extension, they'll go out to 2027. But both these indications are orphan. So we do anticipate being able to get market exclusivity if we manage to get them approved. Okay. And then uh, let's talk about the bankers and the money. I said you did do a raise for 10 million euros this year. I don't know what you have in the bank before that. What kind of runaway are you looking at these days? Yeah, so we finished last year with 10 million. We've raised another 10 this year. We're burning now, according to the new plan with all the upcoming trials, around 1.5 million euros per month. So we will need to raise money. We have access between the cash we have in the bank and a convertible bond vehicle that we have access to. We have money through May or June of next year at this point. Splendid. And finally, a CEO can't do anything without people. And it seems you've acquired some new people. So in closing, could you tell our listeners just who is going to be joining you in the office? Sure. So uh, very happy to welcome in June a few new board members. So Greg Weaver, who's the CFO of Atai and recently took them public on NASDAQ. I think they raised $220 million. Oh, 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 a LifeSci client, by the way. Thank you for that. <laughs> and also Martina Van Voet, who's the head of strategy at GenMab, who also really appreciates the tumor microenvironment approach. And Susan Coles, a very experienced uh, international lawyer who's heading finance and legal function at another company here in Paris. And then finally, just for my own personal benefit, I'm going to see my first conference since all this whole horror oh, show gosh. started. Oh, gosh. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I could see you there someday. It'd be a pleasure, Neil. I'm looking forward to read your book. Oh, thank you. Oh, plug. I love you. All right. So today, this is a wrap, and it's been my extreme pleasure speaking with Aram Mangasarian. He is the CEO of Knox on Pharma. Aram, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Neil. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's Benchtop Bios. I hope that this episode will serve as yet another data point to guide you in your investment strategies. If you wish to hear more of Lifesize Benchtop Bios, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Also, if there's a company or a particular executive you'd like to get to know, I do take requests. Please send those to ncanadan at lifesciadvisors.com. Until next week then, goodbye, or for that matter, good sell, whatever boosts your portfolio.